Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey Greasters, I hope you're having an okay week. I know MUM Day is looming for those of you in the DMC, so I hope you're doing all right. Um, There has been some amazing advice and support on getting through those tough days on our Twitter, Um, so please do tweet us or just have a look at the feed if you want to know you're not alone in perhaps how you're feeling. We are at The Griefcast on Twitter and on Instagram as well. This week I'm talking to stand-up, writer, radio presenter and podcaster Michelle Laurie. 
Michelle is Australian and is a very successful lady over there. She's won awards, hosted TV shows, had her own radio show. Um, she sold out the Sydney Opera House for her one-woman show based on her time running a brothel in Melbourne. She also hosts two podcasts, the Nitty Gritty Committee and the Australian True Crime Podcast. And she's written several books, including her latest one, Buddhism for the Unbelievably Busy. Michelle came in to talk to me about her experiences of death whilst working as a palliative care volunteer. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with comedian, writer, podcaster and broadcaster, Michelle Laurie, all the way from Australia. Hello. Hi, Michelle. Hello. Uh, when did you get in? Uh, a few days ago. Oh, so you I, feel okay? I feel okay. I think I'm pretty good at sleeping on a plane, so <laughs> I think I'm okay. Is that like, do, as an Australian, do you have to be pretty good at sleeping yeah. on a plane? Is <laughs> yes. it like, look, I learned from the age of 10, my parents sent me aside. They yeah. locked me in a room for a bit. We pretended it was a plane. I slept for 24 hours. Absolutely. Yeah. Even to go to other cities is a long time on yeah, a plane. Yeah. So I've been known to wake up when it's taking off. Oh, really? Yeah, I've just sat down and got to sleep. So, yeah, I'm a good sleeper. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, got a clear conscience. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michelle, you are a comedian and mm. podcaster, but you also have another side to what you do, which is why you're here at yeah. Griefcast. So, would you want to tell us what you do? Sure. I also volunteer with palliative care. Right. So, how long have you been doing that? Uh, about four years. Four years. Wow. And what made you think... I'm going to go and volunteer at this pretty depressing job, let's be honest. <laughs> well, it's not as depressing as it sounds, but yeah. um, it's funny because I, at the time, thought I was just doing it because I like to volunteer. Right. I always like to have some volunteering thing going on. Yeah. And I could do this one during the day while my children were at school. I really just thought it's convenient. Yeah. Because I was working in a um, soup kitchen-y kind of vibe before that, and it was always at night time. Yeah. And that was hard. So I thought, well, this is just daytime. <laughs> This would be easier yeah. than that soup kitchen. Yeah. yeah, those soup kitchen hours are tough. I know. But then later I thought, no, look, if I'm really honest with myself, I've always been drawn to death in some weird way, yeah. I think. And there's there's part of me that likes to walk up to it. Yeah. You know? Did you experience that in your childhood? Has something happened? Well, again, I always think, nah, not really. And, you know, you go to clairvoyance and they go, who can I talk to on the other <laughs> side? And I go, nah, no one, no one fun. Um, but then I realised that as a small child, uh, both my parents are only children. Right. But I was born into a very close family of elderly people. Yeah. I would spend my weekends walking around the neighbourhood from house to house to house from my grandparents to my great-grandmother to great-aunts and uncles. Wow. And it was so wonderful. Yeah, and yeah. Every house had its own magical atmosphere. Um, my great-grandmother had this big house, but she only lived in a small area of it. She lived in the kitchen and a little room off the kitchen. Wow. Yeah, she'd literally thrown sheets over everything. Oh, my God. Like 20 years before I was born. Miss Havisham style. Kind yeah. Of thing. yeah. And so we just we just lived in the kitchen, and every now and then I was allowed to go exploring around the rest of this beautiful big house. But she just had no time for it; she had no interest in it. After <laughs> her husband died, yeah, she oh, just thought wow. I don't need it. She was that kind of person. Yeah, I don't need it, so I won't use it. I had an uncle with the most beautiful garden, flowers, snapdragons, oh, wow. and just archways that led to other places. And uh, his wife had a still had a a stove that took 
like wood. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. She yeah. cooked, and their hot water came from this stove and oh everything. Oh my god! It was amazing. But then uh, they started dying. Yeah, they do that. I don't know. There's old relatives. <laughs> they do. It sucks. When I was nine. They started dying, and they kept dying until I was about. 22. Oh, wow. So, because you had this collection, that generation. Yeah. Obviously, they are, by the time you got to nine, they were quite old. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, that's similar to what happened to me. I did. I had my dad, then my grandpa, then like several great uncles and great aunts. And it, it just felt like you're going to a funeral every year yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. before that, my grandparents as well, before my dad. So, it's just like you get into a slight, like, sure, another funeral. Like, yeah. Well, that's what I wonder now. I think. By the end of it, I felt almost impervious mm. to death. Um, I had some big ones early on. My grandfather was a massive one for me, um, his death. And then um, by the end of it, I just felt like I, I can't be touched by it anymore. I can't, it can't hurt me anymore. Yeah. So now I don't know if I am impervious to death or if I'm actually avoiding it to yeah. the extent that I'm walking up and sort of facing it but not really. Because you can go two ways, I think, when you have a lot of death in your childhood. Mm. I think some people, like, don't talk about it at all. You wouldn't know. Mm. And then the other way is, I guess, what me and you are doing, which is like, all I do is talk about death and I volunteer and I look after people who are dying. But in a way, it can be another avoidance because, like you said, you're you're so close to it, you're almost not dealing with your own grief sometimes. I wonder if that's... Yeah, and and I think I'm trying to prepare myself as well for my own death because... Seeing it up close over and over and over again demystifies those final months, weeks, days, moments. And I think that most of us are actually more frightened of that, that period just before death, than we are of death. It's potentially humiliating, uh, you know, messy. um, And so I think I'm trying to just prepare myself for that. So when you started volunteering, is it a hospice? No, I go to people's houses. You go to people's houses, wow. Normally, yeah. Um, they, in our system in Australia, um, people stay at home for as long as possible. Right. And usually, and then go to a palliative care ward at a hospital at the very oh, okay. end. But of course, beds are, you know, precious. Yeah. And some, who knows when there are going to be beds available or not available. So Wow. Yeah. So a lot more people die at home in Australia, would you say? I think so. Wow, yeah, because it's quite... My mother-in-law and father-in-law died at, at home, but it was a quite big decision. Like, the hospitals mm. were not keen on it. There was a lot of pressure to bring them in because they can look after them better, mm. and then it had to be, you know, then they have to bring everything over to them. They, they were supportive of it, but I... Yeah, if you're going to die at home, you have to really be... I mean, people do, obviously, yeah. die here at home, but it is it is quite a big deal. It depends on your circumstances, I yeah. think, in Australia too. I had a lady who was elderly and living in an aged care place. Right, okay. And she died there. She desperately did not want to die there. Mm. Um, and for months leading up to her death, she asked everyone to promise me I will not die here for a lot of reasons. Yeah. She'd seen the people wheeled out before. She'd, you know, it becomes this sort of almost gossipy situation yeah. where people in the dining hall are talking about so-and-so who got wheeled out and... Oh, care home sounds like school, oh, guys. Right. <laughs> and she was a very proud woman. She hated the care home anyway and 
she she really loved the palliative care ward at the hospital. She felt really spoiled there and she liked the food better. She liked everything better. And she tried to get in there as often as she could. And she hoped she'd hang on with her fingernails and hope that she'd be able to stay there until she died. But she didn't. That's really sad. It's really sad, yeah, because when the time came, there were no beds. And then very quickly, within sort of 24 hours, she couldn't really be moved again. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? They get to the point where you can't, you yeah. can't be moved. Yeah. So that wherever you are. But, you I, know, if you were home alone, I'm sure, you know, they would um, make sure that you were in the hospital. But it, it can be difficult if that's where you want yeah. to be. So when you first started volunteering, so you're at people's houses, did you have training? Yes. Like, yeah, so they give you, like, how long do you get to look after yeah, somebody's dying? I know, it's a lo- huge responsibility, isn't it? We had th- one morning a week for three months. Okay. And it was really good training, though, like um, not only psychological training, but also they taught us about the last moments of life and how it generally plays out. Yeah. It's really interesting how similarly we... We tend to yeah, finish. Yeah, yeah. And you say that now, and having seen, I guess, quite a few people yeah. die, do you feel like it is pretty... The first time I saw it, I thought, oh my God, these are the bullet points from that class. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Literally hitting them. Yeah, literally. From the, uh, what's that awful existential restlessness is the worst. And I remember just hearing that phrase and thinking, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> That, I don't want uh, that. Not That's not on my menu. I don't want that bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, sort of this awful and, and dysphoria, this feeling of impending doom, which for the first time in your life is actually real. Yeah. I don't God. know about you, but I've felt dysphoria. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And, and then you've been realized, able to say to myself, you don't being be silly. Re- yeah. <laughs> that dress looks fine. <laughs> yeah. It's not ending. Yeah. But then one day it is ending and you have that feeling hanging over you and wanting to get up and walk when your body won't walk. That's a oh thing that happens. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then a confusion as your organs break down and yeah. toxins enter your brain, and uh, which actually oftentimes looks pretty pleasant to me. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's it. It depend, obviously depends how you die and what you're dying of. But there are – I mean, I've seen few people now die, and it's – Obviously, it's awful, but there are moments, as ever as we talk on this show, there are moments that are very peaceful and yeah. do look very calm, especially if someone's been ill for a long time. Yes. That's the one thing I, in different cases, but if they've been Ill, Ill and in pain and they finally look like they're not in pain, that is, mm. I mean, like, as ever, you know, when you, in real life, in real life, in life when you're in pain and you take a paracetamol and suddenly you're like, oh, I feel so much better. Yeah. You see that relief on their faces. Yeah. And I mean, you have a child, I have children. Mm. Uh Same with them, when you can relieve their pain and see their body relax and see them um, rest after a painful period of time. Yeah, similar to that. What was your first case? My first case was very tricky. I mean, initially, after that three-month training period, then you go out with other people. Oh, okay, so you're shadowed. Yes, for a period of time. But the first case that I had to myself was, uh, I thought, wow, you're throwing me in at the deep end. It was a lady... (laughs) My same age. Oh, God. With two small children. See, I was hoping for like a 90-year-old yeah, lady. I know. She's got some cats. Her family really love her. Like, yeah. that's what I would want my first case to be. I know. Oh, my God. So she was your age with kids. Oh, that's yeah. really hard. And we had a lot in common. Uh, we had a shared sense of humour. She, yeah, she she was a great 
strong, funny, fascinating woman and had these beautiful little babies and had broken up with their dad and sort of didn't want him. So she had this other side going on where she didn't want him to know exactly what was going on because she was scared of him getting the kids. Oh, Lord. Yeah, so... A big thing that I learned during the training process, they try and identify your weaknesses and help you, you know, and a weakness that they identified with me was this desire to problem solve. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's quite, I think that's a bit of a comedian thing as well. Is it? I don't know. I feel like all the ones I know, maybe it's a female comedian thing. Yeah, maybe I'll fix it. Yeah. What do you need? Right, let's do it. Let's sit down. Let's do it. Sit down and just do it. Yeah. And uh, they said to me, you know, you can't, that's not what you're here for. You're not there to... Oh, yeah, I've been uh, told that. Really, yeah. When we had the Julia Samuels, the grief psychotherapist, come on, and she was talking about people's desire to fix things and how you can't do it. And I, I, I was like, yeah, but you know, sometimes <laughs> you want to you wanna help them. She's like, yes, but you're not helping. And I could see her looking at me like, what? that's not always helping fixing the problem, but that's taken me... Like, I think I've been trying to, since my mother-in-law and father-in-law passed away, because that's how I dealt with my husband, I tried to fix it. How can we make this better? Even though I had been through it and know you can't do it, the urge to just human to human help someone is really hard to ignore. So how do we, what do they tell you? What do we do? We don't. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) How do I fix my fixing? It's awful. It's, I just had to keep reminding myself. And again, the bullet points kind of flashed through my mind of the, the notes that I'd taken in the class because I wanted to adopt this lady's children. Yeah, you know, I wanted to be able to say to her, don't worry. Yeah, I I've got fixed it. it. I'll have ah. them. You like me. I'm nice. Yeah. They're sweet kids. Uh, she had an elderly mother oh, God. who was going to take. So, uh, yeah, that was really difficult. And um, she had this interesting coping mechanism where she kept planning things. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My dad did that. Yeah, right. Right up to the end, like he was like in the hospital going okay next week we're gonna go I'm gonna go to Chicago or I'm gonna go to Boston and me and my mum were like oh no you're not yes yes I am we're gonna go to Boston then we'll go to Scotland like planning holidays and I sort of I think because I was so young I was like oh maybe we will I don't know my mum's my mum's face is what made me go I guess we're not going because she was just like head in hands like what what can I do to get through? Yeah. So I guess is that is that quite common, the planning? Yeah. Well, oh. I think it's a common way of coping. And I don't even, I don't think it's a bad thing. Oh. I wonder, you know, some people are completely at peace. I haven't met any really, <laughs> but I keep hearing about them. <laughs> yeah. These people who are ready. Um, but I think, is that necessarily better than than just thinking about the future and making plans and yeah. drifting off that way? Yeah. Surely that's fine, isn't it? I suppose you're right. There's nothing, like my mum said about my dad, like it just gave him comfort to imagine that, yes, all these things were going to happen. I think it was more painful for her. Yeah. Like they're not going to happen. I have to keep track of that. But yeah, I guess, yeah, why not? If that's, that's how he spent his life. Like what next? Let's do it. So you can't expect people to immediately change as soon as they find out they're dying. No. And I've heard about this Chinese custom of not telling people when they're dying. Oh, right. Okay. Have you heard about that? I haven't heard it in Chinese customs, but it definitely happens here in terms of when somebody's very ill. Often we had a lady on Hattie Ashdown who talked about her mum was so elderly and so ill that they found they couldn't really give her the information. Yeah. So it, it, but it depends on the person and the family. But, yeah, I do know of some people who are not told. But I didn't know it was a Chinese custom. Yeah, I believe so, that sometimes the doctors won't tell them. They'll oh tell the God. family and they'll all agree not to tell Nana what's happening and... 
See, I find, I find that really... I want to know. Okay. <laughs> I want, if anyone's listening, I want to know. Yeah. But I can understand, of course, some people... It, if you know someone, if you're a member of their family, you know what you do know what's best for them or what's going to help them best. Yeah. And like Hattie was saying, you know, they knew it was just going to really frighten her. Yeah. And she didn't quite know where she was and she thought she was having a nice holiday. So. Oh, well then, if I think I'm having a nice holiday, don't tell me. Oh, I still want to be told. Please. Really? <laughs> you yeah, do? I do. I do. Oh, no. I want to know. Well, this elderly... I hate, but I hate not knowing. Like, okay. Oh, in my life, I hate not knowing. Well, this elderly lady who was in the care home... Uh, who was so d- didn't want to be there um, because she and I knew she had said to me because I'm and I'm embarrassed I'm gonna it's gonna be embarrassing and I don't wow. want to be here. And then in her last day, I saw her on her last day, and she was in her bed in a nappy, and she told me that she, in her words, I shat myself this morning. <laughs> fair <laughs> right? enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. But then she was also telling me that her son was coming with sausages. Yeah. You know, from the butcher shop. And that wasn't happening. But then we just had this long conversation about the barbecue and it was so wonderful. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, you, you don't need to know that you're here in this place that you desperately didn't want to be in. Oh, no. Then I think, yeah, don't. Yeah. I'm not saying. I'm also going to drag you back from the holiday. You in her face. <laughs> you are in a care home. <laughs> Lady, wake up. Yeah. This is not where you want to be. No, don't worry. Your me son hasn't holiday. spoken to you in 30 years. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. So that was nice. That was again a moment yeah, where I thought. Yeah, I guess you're right. Why this not? Is okay. Why not just drift away into like a little bit of delusion? Drift away into the barbecue for a little while. Oh, God. Actually, what am I talking about? Don't tell me. <laughs> I want to stay in a barbecue. It sounds really nice. But if there's no hope, if there's no hope and you're already. It's difficult, especially, I guess, with elderly people that. When they do get, well, actually, with all ages, when they do start to get confused, and if you have told them and you have to tell them again. Oh, God. Have you had that? You no. To, oh, God, thank God. Yeah. No, I haven't. But, I mean, it's also so um, weird uh, when you're just talking with people and they're vibrant and they're yeah. there and, isn't it? It's like, you're going to vanish soon. I don't understand. Have you? Do you stay for when they die or is your job just to sort of take them... To be right up there until they die. It depends on them and their right. family. And I guess before I got involved, I read an article about an organisation called No One Dies Alone. Have right. you heard of them? No, no. They're American and they're specifically about that, about people who are alone. Right. And they will sit oh, wow. with them. But in our case, I haven't known of anyone yet who is completely alone. Okay, yeah. And I just follow the cues of the family. And sometimes towards the end, they do ask you to be there because you become a very big part of this process. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I've always sort of said, I tell you what, I'll just even wait outside. I'll go, you know, I'll be close. But How do you feel when you're outside that room and you know the person you looked after is dying and they're like... What's that like to be outside the room while that's happening? It's for me it's it is just mind-boggling in Mm. a but in a way that I'm sort of attracted to if I'm honest. It's I think I'm trying to understand how how can you vanish? How can yeah. people disappear? How can you be here and then not? And then, you know, you have those moments leading up where you think, if I hold on to you, will you not go? Like if we, if I make you stay awake, will you not? Yeah. You know, it's. I Did suppose, you have that? Yeah, and I think what I found as well since having a baby, and I, don't, I always bang on about this on the podcast, but like it does change things. It does. Yeah, it definitely changed my relationship to the deaths I dealt with, mm. because I now understand like that baby 
you know, she came when she wanted to come. There was no, even though I had every medical intervention possible because <laughs> that she didn't want to come out. Like, it feels very that how you, and it's such a cliche, but how you enter and how you leave is a similar situation. There's not a lot of control the human beings can have about it. Even the person carrying the baby, you know, you can breathe and you can push them out, but yeah, when they're ready, they're ready. Yeah. Like, and I, but we have so much medical intervention now at the time of death as well. Yeah, so yeah. it's become sort of abstract I think a hundred years ago people did die in our houses our grandparents died there with us we were all part of it now it's hidden now the medical profession treats it as a failure they try and keep us alive for as long as possible bring us back I know I think especially well my mum said that when my dad had he had cancer and they gave him chemo and she always says she wished they hadn't because he was definitely too far gone and it made him so so sick And, you know, obviously with hindsight, you can say, oh, well, you know, if we hadn't done it, would we be, oh, we might have given him a couple more weeks, which she said, she always found that really hard when she was like, why didn't they just say he's going? Yeah. It's too late. But like you said, I think that idea, it's always a failure is interesting because it's not always a failure. It's sometimes it's just. Oh, it's never a failure. It's inevitable. It's it's part of life. There's nothing we can do. You can eat clean. You Ugh, can yeah. go to the gym. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. You're going to die. Well, I, I think I've said this before as well, but my dad, you know, he was training to run an Ironman. Like he wow. ran triathlons and marathons. Like he was so healthy that I think that's why it upset a lot of his friends because they were like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. Like he was really, that guy was the healthy one. Yes. I mean, he had not been healthy as a teenager and a 20-year-old. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he was a very, yeah, so you, there's nothing you can do to stop this process. So why should it be viewed as a... Yeah, I mean, our family is very healthy. We, despite our best efforts, we're, we're just genetically blessed, particularly my father's side of the family. And now my sister has this really weird cancer. Oh, wow. And um, she's living with it at the moment, but 12 months ago... They didn't know what it was, and and when they finally diagnosed it, it's some weird lung cancer that's oh like God. so um, rare that they sent some of her tissue to America to study it. And oh my goodness! And I think we were all like, "No, that doesn't happen to lorries." Yeah, where? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, we can drink and smoke and go yeah. hard balls to the wall for seventy years and still, yeah, you know. So yeah, we do. We do just take everything for granted. It's hard to understand we're going to die. How do you feel when you're watching a patient struggle to to stay alive then when there is, is that medical intervention? Is there a part of you that wants to go, just take all this wire away, this person just needs to be left alone? No, not not for me. I mean, um, I'm just focused on their wishes yeah. and particularly, again, in old age care situation where so much choice is taken away from you. Yeah. I felt really lousy that that one last thing that she asked for yeah. didn't happen. Um, and also, you know, in Australia, we have a big euthanasia debate going yeah. on. And I always think of her and other people who have expressed to me a desire to have some control over that process yeah. and some dignity over that. And I think, yeah, you know, choice, your choices just narrow, don't they? When, when you're terminally mm. ill, yeah, uh, everyone else is in control, in charge, telling you what you should be doing. But that's why it reminds me so much of having a baby. Yes, yeah. Because that's what I was like, everyone's in charge, everyone's telling you what to do. You have the tiniest amount of control, really, which yeah. you have to fight for. Yeah. And you're doing that when, you know, hopefully you're fit and healthy and younger, and it's still so hard. I can't imagine how hard it is to be, 
you know, in your 80s or 90s and trying to be heard. Like, yeah. it must be so fucking frustrating. Yeah. When yeah. people all kind of look at each other in mm. your presence, when you say something, everyone kind of looks at each other like you're not making sense or yeah. you don't understand what's really going on. Yeah. Um, so do they often confide in you as a separate outside family member? I guess yes. you're sort of a safe space to... Yes, because I won't... My feelings won't be hurt. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's really hard to say to a family member... Leave me alone. Die. Yeah, leave me alone. <laughs> I want to die sooner. I'm sick of this. Yeah. Or it's hard to confess to a family member that you're terrified because that yeah. scares them and upsets them. So, yeah, that first lady I used to see who was my age, she eventually at the very end, she was the planner, and at the very end just got so scared. Oh, God. Yeah. But then she went into her, you know, medicated, confused state, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really nice. Um, the last time I saw her, she was sitting in the courtyard of the hospital and there are these feral rabbits that live in the <laughs> courtyard. But but because of the place it is, we all encourage them. Yeah, yeah. We feed them. And, um, and they're very sweet and they come sort of at dusk. And oh, then, nice. Yeah, it's really nice. It's a beautiful garden and then, and then these bunnies come out of nowhere. And uh, <laughs> That's so surreal. I know, it really is. It's like something out of a very strange, like yeah. David Lynch version of the hospice film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember we were all out there, her family and her two little children, and uh, she was in a bed by that stage that they sort of jack up, so you're sort of sitting yeah, up, yeah. you know. She she was confused and her children were so small that they couldn't understand what was happening. But oh, so God. to them, it was just this great day where the bunnies came. Yeah. I remember thinking at the time, they are only noticing the great bits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was nice. And I thought she would be happy. I think that that was the last time they saw her. I wish I could have told her that uh, they thought it was magical. Yeah. Oh, that's really hard. Yeah. That you couldn't let her know in some no, way. Too late. That's shitty. It's shitty. <laughs> I shit find house, that really because, like, yeah, like, it's great that that happened. It's great that those children had that. But I, oh, that's when I get angry with death. Because I want there to be a moment we can just pause and let her know it's okay. Guess what? They had a nice time. But I think we have to accept that, don't you yeah. think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but don't you think that in it, for our own lives, we yeah. have to accept. And we have to have peace in the fact that life goes on without us yeah. and our children will have magical moments without us. Mm. I think if I had one message for my children, it would be, you know, if I'm not around to support and love you, find someone who is. Yeah. That's the best you can hope for and that's that's where happiness comes from and that's where magic comes from. And I wish you'd been around when I was 15. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why that story annoyed me because I was like... Because my dad died in the hospice. So yeah. I feel like whenever I hear that sort of children having to, you know, obviously I wasn't super, super young, I was 15. Yeah. But yeah, still, I still regress very much to a 15 year old going, it's not fair. Like, I, and that's why I'm in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm dealing with, because it's, and I've read about this, the so children who are grieving as well, like you freeze in that moment. Yeah. So it's quite hard. You know, I'm eternally, my eternal self is kind of a 15 year old. Yeah. And if you lost a parent when you're younger, you sort of freeze because that's when everything made sense before that you know that's there was a moment yeah. it was clearer but yeah you're of course you're right and I think the other thing it's important to realize is go and find someone who love you is is a really brilliant expression and it might not be who you want it to be like no. it might not be family it might not be no. the people you wish are going to replace that parent like yeah. you know you have to just find 
Yeah. People are going to love and support you. It can be anyone. Yeah. Just make sure they're good people. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of beautiful people in the world. Most yeah. people, actually. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you're open to them, they'll be open to you. But I hope that your dad, in some moment, had faith in your mum oh, and in yeah, you. Oh, yeah, definitely. That you would go on and yeah. you would have beauty in your life after this happened. Yeah, and I think I was very lucky. As I said before, my mum was, was brilliant in that situation. Yeah, great. She was amazing. So I think there was a... Yeah, I think it was more, I think, my dad, he didn't want to die. I don't I don't think he was, obviously he was worried about us, but it was more like he didn't want to die. Yeah, and I get that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, I don't, it, I think if it'd been the other way around, if it'd been my mum, I think my mum would have been worried about us. Anyway. I mean, I want to see where the iPhone ends up. You know, <laughs> I, I want to see where this is all going. iPhone I, 20 when it's in your yeah, face. Yeah, I don't want to miss out on all of that, <laughs> but I'll miss out on something. But now that you're talking about your age, uh, that reminds me of my mother, whose mother killed herself when she was nine. Oh, wow. And that's a, that's so true. It's really yeah. interesting. Not that she's ever been, you know, immature, but she's really not very maternal. Yeah. Yeah. And, I've heard this as well. Like, it, yeah. it, you, it's very difficult to get past that moment. So, I mean, obviously, this is cod psychology, but, like, if she was nine, she never had to be, she never got into motherhood. And that's what I have definitely struggled with. Yeah. I still in my head, I'm 15 a lot of the time. Yeah. And I rea- I know how fif- I know how to react like a 15 year old. And I still have to sometimes go, you're in your mid thirties. You're 30. <laughs> and it's really easy to work out how old I am. Because <laughs> I always talk about how old I am. Uh, anyway. And, um, and I have, that's what my, I've only had therapies for about a year. So I didn't have any at the time. Wow. And uh, yeah, so much of it has been about going, okay, you can, it's okay to let go of that 15 year old. It's okay. Mm. But I think that's a moment when you're in such pain, you know, oh, and if yeah. your mum was night, that's, it's so much pain at that moment. Yeah. And it happened in the house. Oh God. Um, she went to bed and none of this, she told us none of this as children. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who, somebody, oh, she was very drunk one night. That's right. <laughs> and she mentioned she, the, her parents, something. And then I phoned my father the next day and I said, whoa, mum said this thing to me last night. And he said, so I was probably 30. Wow. And he said, oh, yeah, that did happen. And that's when I found out that she'd always said my mum died. And so what of? Oh, no, she just died. Yeah, as a result of, I guess, of that, mum is just not maternal. She's yeah. not very interested in looking after my twins. <laughs> no, that is not helpful. It's really not. <laughs> you could really do with the extra pair of hands. But she has, she lives in my garden. She lives in a granny flat in my garden. Um, but she definitely has this feeling of being let down. Yeah, of course, yeah. Constantly expecting to be let down. Yeah, it really, I spent a lot of my time saying, oh, it's not going to define me. Mm. And now I am full up, hands up, it defines me. I, of yeah. course it does. I don't know how... It, if I'd got married at 15, it would define me. You know, like if I'd won an Oscar at 15, it yeah. would define me. Like yeah. it's it's very easy, I think, sometimes with, with tragic situations to try and not run away with them, but control them. Mm. And I found it much, and this is just me, obviously everyone's different. I found it really helpful to be like, yeah, it's the biggest thing that ever happened to me. It totally defined me. It changed my personality. I still struggle with it. It's still something I'm working through. Why not? Why? Why yeah. is that not? A, that's okay. Yeah. But I, obviously everyone's different. Some people are, are fine and they feel like they've dealt with their grief. And but right. I do think having, yeah, <laughs> who are you? I haven't met them. I know. Well, sometimes, I don't know. My brother doesn't listen, so I can say. My brother finds it odd. He's like, oh, I just don't really think about it. And I'm always like, really? How yeah. old was he? He was 19. 
So they had, I think that does, that jump is huge actually from 15 to 19. They had a very difficult relationship as well, but they had started kind of talking about it a bit and he definitely had an adult relationship with him, which I 100% didn't. 100% I was still, oh, that idiot my dad, you know. (laughs) I'm still being a teenager. So I think that, yeah, it really does, you know, those childhood years. And um, Julia in her book talks about if it happens when you're under 10. That is equally because you are a very you you can only deal with it as a child. You yeah. don't really have understanding with it. Your so there's all these different phases of when yeah. it happens to you, of course. So, and that's the great fear of having children, isn't it? I I don't know if I ever thought of it before. Yeah. But suddenly, when I had children, I felt this incredible um, pressure to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to not yeah. make them the children whose mum dies oh, one yeah. way or the other. To yeah. not kill myself, to not uh, be in situations, you know, outlandish situations that I have been in before because I'm a traveller. I like to travel and sometimes I put myself in these situations where I think now when everyone reads about this in the paper, they're going to say, what a stupid bitch. <laughs> what was she expecting when she went away with these men she'd just met and they seemed like nice fellows and they wanted to show her something. So now I feel this responsibility to be more cautious in my life, not make them those children. And that's funny because I had such a a death so young, I am the most cautious. I have been cautious since I was 15. Like at 15, I was like, we cannot fuck around anymore. (laughs) Like I was like, my friends would take drugs and I was like, no, 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 I can't because we might die, guys. And they'd be like, you're bumming out the party. <laughs> I was like, I know. Yeah, I never got that till I had kids. Yeah, see, and but that's the right, the right inverted commas, the yeah. normal, the easy, the healthier, funner way to do it. I don't know. <laughs> it's the way it is. But yeah, I do think that's what I go in, again, inverted commas, the perfect life way is that you shouldn't until your kids be aware of your own mortality. That would be, that's lovely. But yeah. I think when you lose a parent younger, like, yeah. And my friends who've lost parents, like, I have a friend from school who also lost her dad, Hannah, and we are very close because of this. And we completely, like, if, if the phone goes, we're like, who died? Oh, yes. Who died? What happened? Who's dead? I'm preparing myself. I'm ready. And they're like, oh, no, I was just calling out the blue. Do not do that. <laughs> Text me beforehand. We have that after 9 p.m. For some reason, oh, my mum yeah. decided everyone dies after 9 p.m. So if the phone rings after 9 p.m., she thinks well, yeah. someone's dead. And probably because what happened to her, she went to bed. Yes, so you're now, right. So, oh, my yeah. God. So now that you get that fear of like, yes. you can't quite trust. I just got to chill when you said that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You make up a little rule. And because you're a child, you make up a crazy rule, yeah. you know, because you're like, well, the world doesn't make sense. Everything's gone. So how can I apply some logic to it? Okay. So my new yeah. logic is like, no, no one is safe unless I'm looking at them. <laughs> yeah. Unless I can find them. And actually yeah. my grandfather died overnight too. I remember oh, gosh. waking up in the morning. He'd been in and out of hospital a lot. And now looking back, he'd had a lot of those um, moments of dysphoria and all of that. And um but I wasn't really expecting him to die, even though people kept saying to me, he might. Yeah. I didn't really. And I remember waking up and my grandmother was there and she hadn't been there the night before. Right. And she came and sat on my bed and my father sat next to her. And then I knew, I Aww. knew he was gone. And you're right, that was overnight. But also the suicide thing, I, I'm really glad I didn't find out until I was older because I was I was quite suicidal as a youngster. Wow. And I feel like had I known that, I would have thought, oh, well, that's why. Yeah. And it's my destiny. Yeah, it's interesting, You isn't know, it? I've inherited yeah. that from yeah. my grandmother. Whereas later, I thought, oh, I'm glad I'm only finding this out now. And then later I had children and thought, oh, well, now I can't. 
which was funny (laughs) because it was a bit of a bummer, actually. (laughs) I suddenly thought, wow. That's that option gone? Yeah, the control of that is gone. That's how I felt at 15 because I was also like, I mean, I, I was suicidal in that teenage way. Yeah. I definitely felt like, oh. Well, that option's gone. Yeah. I can't do anything dramatic now, can I? Because now I know what it does to everybody. Yeah. So now I see, you know, you can see the after effects, almost like surviving an earthquake or something. So you're like, well, now I can't. I can't do anything stupid. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm going to behave myself. But then other people go the other way. I know plenty of people who, you know, go through an early death and they go great they go full on I'm gonna do everything because I I can't control it so yeah Yeah. it doesn't guarantee you no it doesn't (laughs) an uptight teenager goes no it doesn't and now that I'm so focused on Buddhism you know Buddhism's kind of obsessed with death so yeah uh, when did that happen so you are now you're a Buddhist mm. but you you weren't raised a Buddhist no I was raised Catholic so when did they when did the when did Catholicism lose you (laughs) (laughs) very early on very early yeah and you know a big part of Catholicism for me certainly was my mum telling me that all the dead relatives were watching me all the time. Oh, they, we've talked about it. It's the worst. Why? I don't want really to watch. It's horrible. It's so horrible. I want when I'm, especially a teenager, what yes. when I'm doing everything. All right. I am, I am kiss. I am more than kissing this boy. I am kissing people. I'm yeah. masturbating. Yeah. I'm doing all sorts. And I, and my great aunt Greta is watching me. <laughs> because if she was alive, I definitely wouldn't do this in front of no, her. No, and she I'd be polite. She wouldn't want me to. And I would leave the room. Yeah, and she'd leave the room. So yeah. why would she not? leave the room in heaven <laughs> yeah so that, that's what they do oh. Go, oh just excuse me a second michelle oh. is doing something very <laughs> awful i'm just gonna go next door <laughs> heaven's just very polite no I, I would think so i'd hope so i'd hope so yeah so yeah that all annoyed me and then um i don't know i just turned on religion for a while and then found my way back to buddhism i was very depressed and mm. Yeah, suffering that that suicidal depression again in my early 30s and just couldn't get out of it and thought, ah, I'll I'll give this a serious go because I hadn't before. And I went to a Buddhist centre and the first class I saw was uh, dealing with disturbing emotions and I thought, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm home. (laughs) I'm home and it it was really very helpful. And, yes, their fascination with death was uh, a surprise to me. I didn't know that. Yes, I I know a tiny bit about Buddhism. Yeah. But not enough. So what are they, Are they? what's their take on it? <laughs> well, you know, there's lots of, it's a big take. There's yeah, a lot yeah. to unpack. There's, uh, you know, reincarnation. Yeah. And that idea, I keep saying, you know, how do people vanish when they die? Yeah. And they're sort of saying, well, they don't. That's they impossible. Don't. Clearly that energy and that stream, that continues. It, mm. it can't vanish. And... Um, the idea of facing death is very important to them, of not running away from it. Of, right. they, they, we're taught to meditate on death, would you believe? Yeah, I have done Buddhist meditation. Yeah. And I did find the death meditation a bit much. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. <laughs> well, I find, yeah, I find it hard to, to do, definitely. Yeah. But I liked that because, I, as I say, I wanted to walk up to death. Yeah. And I liked that they were saying, yes, we should. you should do that every day. You should yeah. walk up to death and understand that it's there and put, the rest of your life into that context. It's interesting because when I first started doing this podcast, I didn't really think about what would happen. You know, I just thought, oh, I'll just chat to some people. And then I carried on doing it. And about, I guess, sort of midway through, I was like, this is really hard. I'm having to talk about my dad's death all the time. And my husband even said to me, he was like, do you think you should stop? Like, is this mentally good for you? And I was like, this is not good for me. Like, I am struggling. And then I pushed on through (laughs) and we kept doing it. And I can't believe the 
I've got so much more at peace with his death and my death from talking about it. And it's it's hard to say that sometimes because it, it sounds like it doesn't make sense. But yeah. it, it's just like you say, because you're so aware of death all the time. Mm-hmm. And maybe you have this with your palliative care. When I hear about something, I'm not as like... I might feel so sad for someone, but I don't get that like, oh God, someone died. I'm yep. like, yes, of course they did. Yeah. And that's really, ch- I never used to feel like that. I used to feel like sick and anxious the moment you death was mentioned. You have become an excellent Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you really have. Oh, great. Yeah. I did love my Buddhist meditation classes. Wonderful. Yeah, I did, I mean, absolutely. And I think... Uh, but I, used to, I kept falling asleep. That was the trouble. That's fine. They a lot were of people so do. good. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do. Oh, really nice sleeps. <laughs> I've heard of a monk whose teacher made him sit on the side of a well to meditate to stop him <laughs> falling asleep. Otherwise, he'd fall in. Yeah, so nice. Yeah, so it's very common. But yeah, no, I think you're right. I think walking up to death and including death in the context of your life is a positive thing. It can only be a positive. It can only make you value everything and everyone around you and every day more. I think it's hard because obviously it's sad and obviously it depends on your relationship and what's happened to you. Obviously some people have had terrible things and you don't want it in your face. But just to keep it present, Mm. it does it does make you appreciate things. It's yeah. such a cliche, but of course it does. Because if you're constantly reminded this is all going to go. Yeah. Jesus, am I a Buddhist? I didn't even I know. Think <laughs> I think you really My are. My dad would be so proud. <laughs> he would be so proud. He's very into all of that. Yeah, we're all Buddhists in the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the it's handy, isn't it? Because it's like, come on, if you're going to choose one, one that makes you come back. Yeah. But come very... back is like a different, well, I can be a dog. Yes, okay. Here's the funny thing about Buddhism, though. The ultimate success in Buddhism is not coming yeah. back. Isn't that funny? So again, it's this topsy-turvy perspective from the one that I was raised with, this Anglo-Christian perspective. The idea of not having to come back. This is why His Holiness the Dalai Lama is so revered, because he reached enlightenment many years ago and he chooses to come back to be compassionate and keep helping people. Oh, I see. Yeah. He's not a reincarnation of Buddha. He's a reincarnation of of the Dalai Lama. So this is why people love him so much. Have you but met him? I have, a couple of times, yes. Wow, what was that like? He's very pragmatic. That's that's why I love him so much. He's um, We do gigs together when he's in Australia. Has he got a good tight five? He really does. <laughs> and, you know, after a few visits, they started say, the organisers started saying to me, you're our favourite um, person to sit with His Holiness on stage because you never interrupt him. And I say, that's because I emceed a lot of comedy gigs. Yeah, yeah. And... I kind of know when he's finished and when he's not. And also over time I've learnt about some of his favourite gear. <laughs> so sometimes I'll lead him into his favourite oh, nice. bits of gear. Yeah, I'll go, hey. By gear you mean material. Material, that's sometimes, what we call in Australia, sometimes sorry. Sometimes gear can be drugs. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. So I was like, whoa, you're <laughs> dealing the Dalai Lama. No, in Australia we okay. call that, that's drugs, so, material. but it's also material. Okay, yeah. oh, right. Yeah, rope, yeah. do you call it ever rope? Oh, yeah. yeah old I, rope. Yeah, old rope, yeah. So, yeah, particularly if he's tired, I'll think to myself, all right, let's throw him a bone and let's get him to tell everyone okay. about. Michelle, what you're saying is you're in a double act for the Dalai Lama. <laughs> Sometimes, and it's wonderful. That's incredible. Yeah, he's very funny. He's very pragmatic. But, you know, some previous Dalai Lamas didn't really want to be the Dalai Lama. I've and heard so, there was one who didn't, was like a naughty Dalai Lama. Yeah. yeah. He was boozing and, yeah. and womanising. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. But luckily this guy's really into it. <laughs> and um, there's a great story about death that I always talk about of his, um, an anecdote about people coming to visit him in India, where mm-hmm. you can, certainly Tibetan people can yeah. go and visit with him. And an elderly man came to him and said, 
I'm dying. Can you, I don't know, do what you do, cast a spell, <laughs> do what you do. And his holiness said, well, I can't, there's, I can't cast yeah. any spells. Uh, what I can do is get out my doctors to give you, you know, to come and see you. And he said, I hope that helps and I hope you don't die. But if you do die, don't forget to die gently. Oh, that's yeah. really nice. It's really nice. And I think about that a lot. And that's my aim is to die yeah. gently. That's really nice. Because yeah. that's, as I say, my, I don't think my dad did die gently. He's very struggled with that, definitely. Mm. My mum had to, my mum 100% helped him to die gently because he was definitely, I mean, he was 44. So I can, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, but that is a really, um, Lovely phrase. And weirdly, again, it reminds me, I did hypnobirthing. I mean, I ended ended up with a cesarean guy, so it didn't really, (laughs) I did everything. But in hypnobirthing, the big thing is to like give birth gently, to be calm and to control your breathing and and try and, and I think some of hypnobirthing is, obviously, if you need intervention, which is what happened to me, it's amazing. But it really, it really helped me to try and give birth as gently as I could in what is, you know, is really frightening yes really really scary and something's happened to you completely out of control of and it's and you're right it's very similar to the death process isn't it yeah I couldn't believe how yeah. similar it was mm. until and I, I hate saying it because I feel like if you obviously if you haven't had children or can't have children or don't want to have children that doesn't mean you don't understand life no no <laughs> of course I'm just coming from but my your ex- own birth I mean yeah again in Buddhism they talk about our own births oh. as being very similar to the death process oh, yeah you yeah. know to coming this this contracting, this squeezing, pushing, yeah. pulling, this, this pushing through into this bright light, the screaming, the, I mean, can you imagine yeah. what's going through our little tiny minds? I know, I know. <laughs> it must be so terrifying. And yeah. that's why it's terrifying at the end. It's a terrifying yeah. thing. But it, like you said, that's the job on earth is to try and process that. And at the very least, I think, did your believing that you were going to have a gentle birth help you in the lead up yeah oh 100 percent. yes because i was i mean i was like really annoying i was like we're doing hypnobirthing so i'm gonna have like a perfect birth i'm gonna like breathe my way through it water birth and i did not i mean i literally from induction to cesarean i had every single medical intervention because so many things went wrong yeah but i always somebody says to me oh well there you go hypnobirthing's load of crap and i was like no 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 like i got through that cesarean because i was still doing the same breathing yes. as if i was in a water yeah. birth and you got through that last month of pregnancy yeah. which is also terrifying oh my God, yeah. because you believed you were going to have a gentle birth uh, yeah and it really it really <laughs> did soothe all my because i was like i found the magic spell yeah i found the magic spell i just have to breathe and it won't hurt yeah <laughs> why is no one else doing this so i believe i am going to have a gentle death yeah yeah and so today that makes me feel good yeah, that's true. You that's know, very true. Confident. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird thing to think. Do you ever think about your ideal death? I, I, I because of what happened to me, I, I just want to get old. <laughs> like, yeah. I have this thing now of like, I just, and especially since having a child, I just want, I don't want her to have to go. Or when she does, I want her to be old enough for it not to be a tragedy. Yeah. That's basically all I cling to is that when I do die, people go, oh, they don't go, oh, fuck. Yeah, which is what happened to me, which I think is is very common if you've if you've lost. If you just want them, like you said, not to be the girl who's died. Yeah, but in terms of death, yeah, I think me and my mum always say like, God, if you could just if you just have a nice kip, go to bed, cup of tea, and then that's it. Gentle. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Gentle. Yeah. One of my old aunties, Auntie Muriel, uh, she was the potty one, and so she was the one I loved visiting. She had she lived on chocolate biscuits, <laughs> and she had her entire house was full of ornaments and trinkets like f- stuffed parrots hanging in the doorways and everything 
And uh, when she died, she just wasn't answering the phone one morning to her sister. Her sister sent her son around. He went in and there she was sitting up in her bed with her glasses on her nose. Oh, my God. And a book in her lap. Aunty Muriel did Aunty it right. Muriel. She did it right. High five. Yeah, like that's yeah. that's a gentle death. And she was a gentle lady and she lived in a sort of a beautiful fantasy world of her own and everyone else tut-tutted about her and her out-of-date chocolate biscuits, but, you know, she did it her way. <laughs> <laughs> and that's she gave zero fucks, do. I believe, yeah. well before it was a hashtag. <laughs> that's all you can do. Yeah. So you've written this book about Buddhism. I've written two books about two Buddhism. Books. Wow. Buddhism for breakups and Buddhism for the unbelievably busy. Oh, wow. And both of them, I think, very much have uh, the context of death in terms yeah. of I'm 44. The first 40 years went so fast. Yeah. I look at my parents now who are only 23 years older than me. Yeah. And I think, well, I need to make sure that as much as possible I'm living this beautiful life that I'm so lucky to have. Mm. And that's another part of Buddhism is really connecting with the luck of being born human. Yeah. For a start. <laughs> Even though I want to come back as a dog. <laughs> I know. But you know what? The trouble with being a dog is you don't have any control over your spirituality. This is the Buddhist teaching. I see. Okay. All right. And yeah. you could be born a dog in... You know, in a, in a country that doesn't like dogs. No, I no, I want to be born in England. Of course, that's where we love the you dogs. You want to be my dog, <laughs> yeah, who exactly. sleeps in the bed with me, and yep. you want to be Big Jacko. That's my dog. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, when you come from a place of feeling lucky all the time, yeah. as I do in Buddhism, and definitely lucky to have this beautiful life, walking here today in London. Remember yesterday, the weather was terrible. Oh my god, and it's so beautiful today. It's, it's really so sunny, beautiful, yeah. and so to notice that and to take the time to look up and see it and think about it and take a photo and Instagram it <laughs> and just think, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm in London talking about my books and things. And, you know, that this is a life that mm. I am living and putting together here. Yeah. You know, and when it's over, it will have been a nice one. That's all you can do, isn't yeah. it? Is try, try and live gently, perhaps, yeah. whatever that means to you. Yeah. In some way. And have my children be able to go, wow, even if, God forbid, touch wood, it is early enough to feel tragic, even then they can say, wow, look what she did. She wrote yeah. books. She traveled. She, you know. And that, I mean, life is that's magical. definitely how I feel about my dad. Yes. Even though it was obviously tragic, the process of accepting it, there's still moments where I'm like, oh, he lived a great life and he was you know, did all these crazy things. He very much lived exactly how he wanted to do. Wonderful. He was 44? Yeah, he was 44. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you go back to Australia, are you going back to palliative care? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm between patients at the moment because the last one uh, was my lady in the retirement home and uh, she lived a lot longer than we expected. (laughs) So (laughs) I ended up... Were you like, whoa, this client is hanging on. (laughs) She's hanging in there and I I loved that. Yeah. but we became quite close and so I thought, yeah. oh, I actually really do need a break after this one. I really miss her. How long were you looking after her for? About two years. Oh, wow. Of weekly visits. And as much as I say I was trained not to problem solve, she did. She had no family there. Right, yeah. And she did love it when I get <laughs> bit involved and yeah. drive her around to her medical appointments and things like that. And so, yeah, it was a big loss. So I ha- I'm having a little break, but uh, back on deck when I go home. So who knows? I mean, I'll get a phone call one day and they'll say, I've got this person for you. This is their story. And next minute I'll be in their home 
And That's amazing. We'll be talking about their bowel movements. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like when you've had a baby, when yes. someone's dying, you took a lot about their bowel movements. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. And I and I understand. How they get to the toilet, what do they do? How are we going to get them out of the, the toilet? Medication, yeah. the colloxal makes you go to the toilet, but the morphine sometimes oh, can block you up. Can block it? you yeah. up. So suddenly I'm an expert on this morphine colloxal nexus. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. That is amazing. And if people in Australia want to do what you do is it you can just volunteer yes what's the name of the service i would google it for me i actually volunteer for a catholic service right. mercy palliative care and they're cool with a buddhist doing this absolutely cool good on them good on yeah them. they're so they're beautiful beautiful women who run it it's mostly women who volunteer mm. and so just google it there'll be someone somewhere if you want to do it and it's really rewarding and it's not that morbid normally yeah. This person looks to you for like, fantastic, here's my visitor. Yeah. We can talk about anything. We'll talk about memories. We'll talk about TV. We'll talk about it, – it's not that morbid. It's yeah. a lot of laughs and – Yeah, you're not the doctor delivering any no. bad news. You're just someone who's chosen to spend some time with them. Then. Yeah, and you're not the family who's sort of a bit tired and sick of it all and yeah. you're a fresh face who blows in once a week and <laughs> – and it's nice. And you're right. With the elderly, it's it's easier and, uh, you know, it's nice. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for coming to talk to me. Thank you. And thank you for doing that. Thank you for your volunteer. podcast. Oh, I think it's really – I enjoy it so much. Oh, and thank you. Uh, your beautiful voice and <laughs> <laughs> listening to people share their stories. I just listened to this morning to the lady from Game of Thrones. Oh, Gemma. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I, know. I mean, so detailed and – And what a gentle death. Beautiful, gentle yeah. death and um, beautiful, generous conversation from her. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You can follow Michelle on Twitter at Michelle underscore Laurie. And Michelle is spelled M-E-S-H-A-L. And you can buy her new book, Buddhism for the Unbelievably Busy, and also Buddhism for Breakups at all very good bookstores now. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked the show, please do rate and review. If you liked it five stars worth, that's probably definitely worth letting iTunes know about. <laughs> that's my computer making a noise. It's so, so appreciated. And that's my baby in the background. I'm recording this under a duvet, guys. It's 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 not easy. Oh, she's crying. Okay, listen, I'll be quick. You can follow us on Twitter at TheGriefCast or on Instagram or email thegriefcast at gmail.com. Music was composed by The Glue Ensemble and the show was produced by Kate Holland. As ever, thank you for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.